This message by Jake Simmons was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Jake serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Please go ahead and turn with me to the letter of James, chapter 1. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, we would love to provide you with one. One of our ushers will bring it to you. Just raise your hand and they will get it to you. And please keep that. We're going to be focusing our attention on verses 9 through 12 this morning. We're continuing our series on James. But to provide a little context for us, I'm going to read starting in verse 2 through verse 12. So please turn your attention with me now as I have the privilege to read God's Word to us this morning. James 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, this morning, James introduces us to a topic that he's going to cover throughout this letter. This isn't his first, this isn't going to be his only time talking about the subject of money, specifically poverty and wealth. This isn't too surprising in light of James at the beginning of this letter identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Since he was a servant of Jesus Christ, since he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, he saw and heard a lot of Jesus' teaching during his earthly ministry. He was able to hear what Christ had to say about this topic. And Christ had a lot to say about money, didn't he? But what might be surprising, and even maybe a little confusing, is why are we talking about money now? Why the change in topic? At first, it may seem a little bit random. We can see James's letter this way at times, right? We can see it kind of as these random proverbs that are just kind of plopped down. James is talking about a trial. He's talking about wisdom. And now he's talking about money. And he's saying some really mean things, seemingly, about the rich. So he must have some issues with the rich. What's, what's going on here, James? But yet, as we saw last week, James isn't just dropping random knowledge or thoughts on us. What he's doing is he's, he's being a pastor. He's, he's pastoring his people. 
He's, he's creating a context. So in verses 2 through 4, James begins by talking about the divine design for our trials. This is how we can count it all joy. And then from that, he talks about the divine assistance we have access to by crying out to God for wisdom for our trials. Well, now in our verses this morning, James isn't changing his topic. The topic is still, the subject is still on trials, but now what James is doing is is he's giving us an illustration. He's given us a picture of, okay, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Cry out to God for wisdom. Let me show you how this works. Because James is a very good pastor. And this topic is very relevant to the people that he's writing to. Remember, these are people who are part of a dispersion. They've been kicked out. They've been dispersed from their city. They're facing poverty. They are facing the temptation of riches. This topic has a lot of relevance to us today, too, with trials of poverty and wealth. They haven't gotten any easier since James has written this letter. And it's interesting, it's worth pointing out that after James talks about the double-minded man, it almost seems like that James's mind went to what Jesus described in Matthew 6.24, where he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So it's, it's this double-minded man who you can't love money and God. It's either one or the other. It's a dilemma. It's a trial. How do you walk through that? How do you navigate through that? And so James is like, let me show you. Let me show you what God's word, let me show you what God's wisdom has for us in this topic. And this is what James wants. This is the goal of his letter. He wants to present the people that he's writing to. And God this morning wants to present us wholly mature. He wants to present us mature in Jesus Christ. Meaning that Jesus isn't just what we profess, but Jesus is who we live for. It affects every area of our life. Not just what we say, but how we spend. How we look at material things, what we have and what we don't have. So we need wisdom this morning. And God's Word has wisdom for us. I think this is the wisdom that James has for us this morning. He wants us to see your momentary earthly status in light of your heavenly reward. He wants us to see your momentary earthly status in light of your heavenly reward. He has three pieces of divine wisdom that in these verses that are going to envision us as we face the trials of poverty and prosperity. So first, the poor who are rich. The poor who are rich. Verse 9, he says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exile it's kind of paradoxical, right? A paradox, it's a seemingly contradictory statement, yet it appears to be true. The Bible is filled with them. To give is to receive. To die is to live. Strength comes through weakness. And so now James is writing, and, and he's exhorting in a way he's commanding, let the lowly brother boast in his height. Let the brother who is low, boasts that actually he's high. Let the one who is low, let the one with this word is capturing, is not that he's low to the ground, but that he's poor. Let the one who, who is poor, let him actually boast in his high position. 
So James, he's recall his audience. He's, he's writing to these Christians who the majority of them are poor. The majority of them are of lower economic status. They are those who are looked down upon. They are those who are criticized and working for the wealthy citizens in their area. They're not respected. They're not given much attention. They're mocked. But yet James tells them, you have reason to boast. You have reason to boast. Many saw them and their gospel message as foolish. So not only were they disrespected for their economic status, but they were considered foolish for their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. So here you have these brothers and sisters in Christ. They're barely getting by. They're being mocked. They're not given much opportunity. They've been kicked out of their home. What reason could they have to boast? What reason could they have to say that they are in a high position? What is that? What is James talking about? Jesus in Luke 6 says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. That's what they have to boast in. And this, this, this poverty, it's not just because they're poor economically. It's not just that they don't have money. That gets you into the kingdom of God. That's not what he's saying. It's not that only the poor are able to be in the kingdom of God, but it's their lowliness of spirit. It's their humility. It actually gives them a spiritual advantage to trust in God. They can't trust in themselves because when they look at themselves, they don't really have much to bring to the table. They don't have much to point to with regards to their possessions, to their status. In many ways, they're desperate. They're looking for something to find refuge in. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. James didn't have any pity for the poor. He didn't have any pity when he looked upon the poor. What he wanted to say is, brothers and sisters, yes, you may not have economic status to boast in, but you do have a reason to boast. You have a reason to proclaim that you are in a high position. And here is the key word, the key word that brings about this boasting. It's that this this. This man is called a lowly brother. He's a brother. He's part of the family of God. He is a child of God. And if he is a child of God, then he is an heir to an inheritance that is being guarded and kept for him in heaven. Full access to it. That is his to, to boast about right now. Good news is that when Jesus calls us, when Jesus redeemed us, what he did is he says, everything that is mine, I am giving to you. If you are in my kingdom, if you are my son, if you are my daughter, then everything that I have is yours. And in God's economy, and in God's perspective of things, the spiritual realities of life far outweigh the earthly aspects of life. The things of this world are passing. Things of this world will one day perish, as we will see here in a minute when James addresses 
the rich. But right now, what he's saying is that you have reason to boast. Because you are a child of God. You have a rich inheritance. You have a high position. Because you have been purchased with the blood of Christ. You are His. When we boast in things, it's always good to be confident in what you're boasting in, right? You never want to boast about something that you're unsure about. I love watching kind of these past sports memories where teams begin to celebrate early. They begin to boast and say, oh, we won! And all they do is end up losing. Last night, for example, if you're watching the playoffs, Philadelphia 76ers basketball team, player shoots, clock goes to zero, he hits it. The fans are celebrating. Confetti is coming down. Celebration ensues. He only tied the game. (laughs) They didn't win. And to make matters worse, it took like five to ten minutes to clean off the court. They go, they play overtime, and because Brad Stevens is an amazing basketball coach, (laughs) you see where we, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But the 76ers end up losing. They end up losing. This is, what, this is how one writer described it. He said, When the final buzzer sounded, what was once unbridled, albeit premature celebration, became something else entirely. Silence. Silence. Brothers and sisters, this is not our experience. We have a reason to boast this morning. That's why James is so strong with his language. It's because of his confidence. It's because of what he's telling us to boast about. He's not telling us to boast in anything that we've done, but what's been done for us in Jesus Christ. What do we do when we boast? We're loud. We sing. We celebrate. We do it with confidence what he wants this poor this man of lowly status he says you got something to be proud of you got something to boast in you got a reason to get up in the morning and to get going it's because that you are Christ's don't look at what you don't have look at what you have look what can't be taken from you look at what God has given to you look what God is protecting for you look where God is going to take you boast celebrate James isn't just saying this because Jesus is his brother. He's saying this because Jesus is his resurrected king who's sitting on the throne. Who said, when he said on the cross, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. And he's given us something to boast about. What's amazing is as you look at the early church, what you see is, is those who were of lower class, and this is the living faith. This is when they not only boasted, but this is when it changed their lives. They not only boasted about Jesus, but it changed the way that they, the little that they have, they wanted to give it away. You know why they wanted to give it away? So they could tell people about how great a treasure Jesus is. 
You have these, you have these testimonies from Roman emperors who are saying that we don't understand these Christians. They keep helping the poor. They help their own, and then they go and they help ours too. They're making us look bad. Because the Roman, they have all this money. They don't care about that. They're trying to make more money for themselves. The Christians, they love Jesus so much. They're ready to boast in Jesus. They're ready to make much of Jesus that they just want to give it all away. Because they're not proclaiming Christ just with their mouths. They're proclaiming Christ with their lives. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you're paralyzed, you're downtrodden by your poverty, you're distracted by the material possessions you lack, the Lord, He wants to fill your mouth. You don't want to fill your pockets. You don't want to fill your pocketbook. God's going to provide for His people. But what He wants to do this morning, He wants to fill you with confidence that He is your God and that you have reason to boast. You have a reason to rejoice this morning. Don't envy. Don't covet. Don't complain. But fight to be content. And it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to count it all joy when you meet the trial of poverty. It's hard to, to wake up in the morning and not know what, when your next meal is going to be provided for you. Living paycheck to paycheck. But we can wake up in the morning and boast. Because God's mercies are new every morning. And He is our God. He is our provider. We don't live for this world. We don't live for the accolades of this world. But we live for the audience of one. That is Jesus Christ. So James, he begins by, by addressing the poor. Now he turns his attention to the rich. So now, our second point, the rich who are poor. The rich who are poor. The trial of prosperity, which I'm sure sounds pretty good. All right, Lord, I count it all joy. Yep, come on. Fill the bank account up. That's fine. But if you see the biblical perspective on riches, it is a very humbling and terrifying thing. What the Bible has to say about the temptations and the real genuine trials that come with riches. And for the many of us in this room, this is, this is where God's going to be addressing us this morning. It's where God's going to be addressing our hearts for many of us. And I want to go on and, and just say that there is disagreement on whether this, this rich person is a Christian or not. And I believe that he is a Christian. So James here is addressing a, a rich Christian. Not a rich non-Christian, but a rich Christian. I'm mainly agreeing because that's what Doug Moo thinks. And I respect Doug Moo. And, but I think also textually, it allows for that. It allows for this to be a rich Christian. And I don't think, if we read it as a non-Christian, James then is being very ironic He's being very kind of, yeah, enjoy your riches now. Go ahead and boast because it's all going to burn and you're going to burn. I just, I don't think that's what James is doing. I think what James is doing is that he's wanting to help a rich brother count it all joy. He's wanting to help. He's wanting to help give the biblical perspective on how to walk through the trial of prosperity. So remember, what James is doing in this letter, he's bringing pastoral application to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Remember, and here, here are some of the teachings that Jesus had. It's easier for a camel 
to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person enter the kingdom of God. It's hard for the wealthy to see their need and to make sense of their need for a Savior. But yet you have these moments where Jesus, he goes to Zacchaeus, a rich man, to show that, yes, it's impossible for man, but what's impossible for man is possible with God. And so we can know that God, although it seems impossible, seemingly impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, God is able. And so I believe that although there were probably few rich Christians in the churches and in the people that James is addressing in this letter, I believe they were present. I believe they were there. And he has something to say. So James, he's, his focus, his encouragement, his warning for the rich, for, for many of us this morning, what he's doing, he's not simply after our money. You see, when he's saying, let the lowly, let the, the rich man boast in his humiliation, what he's saying is he's not just after our pocketbooks. He's not just after our material possessions. He's not after what kind of car we drive. He's not saying that you've got to get rid of all that. What he's getting at is, is what is the treasure of your heart? What is it that you love the most? Who's the king of your heart? Who's the ruler of your heart? Who's its main motivator? What do you find confidence in? What do you find identity in? What are you boasting in? And here's the trial of prosperity. It's easy. It is easy to want to boast in what we have, isn't it? It is easy. It is so easy. To have, to have this boost of confidence. To have this boost of, of arrogance, pride, because of how much money we have. It's easy to become more self-sufficient. It's easy to become self-righteous. It's easy to forget about God. It's easy to then not love your neighbor, but see them as people who are in the way of your own ambitions. So James here, he's, he's questioning the riches. Who, who are we primarily loyal to? This morning, as you look at your life, as you look at the decisions, as you look at the decisions for your week, as you look for the decisions for this past year, as you, as you look at what informs what you're buying, what you're not buying, as you look at what you have, what you don't have, who's king? Who's driving? Who's informing? Who's shaping? Do you love to talk about your stuff a lot? You find yourself doing that? It's a form of boasting, isn't it? Here's the wisdom that James has for us this morning. Boast in your humiliation. You who think that you are, you who are rich and seemingly high, what, you rich brother, what you need to do is you need to boast in your lowness. And by boasting in your lowness, lowness, what that shows 
is that Jesus is king of your heart. What that shows is that what's king of your heart is not your stuff anymore. It's not your riches. He's saying, don't buy into the lies of prosperity. Don't buy into the lies that you're more important than you really are. That you deserve more respect, respect because how successful you are. That when you, that when you walk in this morning, and James is going to hit on this a little, a little later, that, that you should be shown a little more respect. Because of what you've accomplished. What James is saying, don't buy into that. Don't buy into that. That's rubbish. Here's what John Calvin, here's how he described it. He tells them, he tells them to glory in their lowliness. Glory in their smallness. To restrain those lofty motives that swell out of prosperity. So this morning, when we come in, what are we thinking about? What are we thinking about? What's on our mind? What are we wanting to boast in? And the temptation is to focus on ourselves. But what I love about the church, what I love about when we gather, what I love about when we sing a song like Mercy, is that, is that where the reason we gather, the reason we're here, the reason we're studying this book is because we're all here, as we sang earlier, to come to the foot of the cross and to kneel in the dust. Every one of us. Everyone. Together. We, we bow at the foot of the cross. This morning, our boast is in the cross of Jesus Christ. This morning, our boast is not in anything that, that we have done, but actually what has been done for us. That's the focus. The best place. The, the way that you count it all joy. The way that you can walk through the trial of poverty. The way that you walk through the trial of prosperity is boasting. It's boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. So you want to boast in your lowness? Then you talk about yourself in a way that you're not impressed with yourself. I'm not impressed with myself because I know who I am. Because I know my heart. I know what I'm capable of. You know that the kind of person I am, God had to send His own very Son to purchase me. You want to know what kind of person I am? I'm dead. I'm a dead person walking. You know what I'm capable of? You want to look in my heart? You want to see what's in here? It's the kind of person I am. It's the kind of person we all are. That's why when we go to the cross, the ground is level. There's no gradations. No gradations. There's no, there's no place for the rich here and the lower middle class here, the middle upper class here, and poor here. No, it's level. And everyone's posture is the same. We are kneeling at the foot of the cross. And the focus is on one thing, and that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the boast. That is our glory. And James is just getting started. You notice he, he, he gives a little more, he gives more attention to the rich. He gives more attention to the rich because it's a, it is such a temptation. And we need to hear, we need this imagery. We don't need to, the rich doesn't need to know, just boast in your lowliness. Here's what, here's what else you need to see, rich people. Here's what else you need to see, wealthy 
Here's why you need to boast in your humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, you're going to pass away. You and your riches will pass away. The sun's going to rise with its scorching heat and it's going to wither the grass and the flower falls and its beauty perishes. And so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. That's the trajectory of riches. That's the path of riches. That's the the path, that's the test of prosperity. James, he's using the natural world, the world to paint a vivid picture of what he's trying to get at. Just as Jesus in Matthew 6 told, his, told those who were anxious, look at the flowers of the field. Look at the birds of the air. You can trust your God. He's going to clothe them. He's going to provide for them. Now James is using this, this Old Testament um, imagery because of these Jewish Christians to remind them that the flower is going to fade. The grass is going to wither. In Isaiah 40, it's the word of the Lord's going to endure forever. But here the imagery is more, you're going to pass away. You're the flower. You're the grass. And so, so the, the readers of this letter, the, the, the desert-like, the arid conditions, one day there would be these beautiful flowers, these wild flowers all across the ground, lush green grass. Two days later, 48 hours, 24 hours later, the heat of the sun, the wind that would blow through is the scorching heat. You go the next day and it's completely gone. Riches, they present the illusion of beauty. They present the illusion of stability. That's what we do, right? We, we're excited to, have, to gain riches. We're excited to have them. And we're like, no, we're going to continue to trust the Lord. I'm going to continue to walk with Him. I'm going to continue to rest in Him. But slowly, if we don't boast in our lowliness, if we don't say, God, you're enough. God, I love you. What do I have that I haven't received? Lord, I want to use this for your kingdom. Lord, why are you giving me this, Lord? I want to use this for your purposes, Lord. Help me, give me wisdom. Help me to walk in a manner worthy. If we don't do that, if that's not our boast, then this is what we're going to do. We're going to believe in what riches promise, that they're eternal, that they're stable, that they're able to hold what they can't actually hold. We begin to buy into the illusion. And money's a demanding God, isn't it? Man, it, it promises a lot, but you got to do all the work. And in an instant, it is gone. Is that the God that we want to trust? Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are you still able to say this morning that you have a loose hold on your possessions? You have a loose hold. You have a loose hold. Or... Have your possessions begun to possess you? That's the question. That's the wisdom. Those are the the things. That's what we need God to help us with. That's what God in His mercy, when His Word searches and knows us, what He's doing, it's His, His kindness to lead us to repentance. It's His kindness to show us how fleeting these things are. Because whenever we have a loose hold, then we can echo like Job did, right? He lost everything. He lost everything. He's a rich man. Family, cattle, land. He lost it all. Like that. And this is what Job said. 
Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My boast, my hope, my trust, my confidence, my joy, my crown is my God. Not what I had. I didn't bring anything into this world. I can't take anything out. There's one thing that I can hold on to. There's one thing that's going to be with me. There's one thing that's going to be with me each step of the way, whether life or death. That's Jesus Christ. So I'm going to boast in Him. I'm going to trust in Him. And this is where James takes us. He's a wise pastor. So now after providing these exhortations, after saying, be weary of this, boast in this, what he wants to do is he wants to give us motivation. He wants to motivate us. Point three. Learn to live for His reward. Learn to live for His reward. Look at verse 12 with me. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love Him. Verse sounds a little familiar. Has some similarities to verse 2, right? But, but now that, that James has provided us with the divine design, a divine assessment, and now, in some ways, a, an, an illustration, now here's what he's saying. Here's where all this is headed. Here, here's where we need to fix our eyes. We need, to, we, need to see, we need to see our momentary earthly status, what's going on here. We need to see, we need to see it in light of our heavenly reward. We need to see this in light of this. To, to make sense of this, to, to make this worth fighting for, to make this worth boasting in, to boast in our, in our height, to boast in our lowliness, here's what we need to be looking to. Don't need to be looking to our momentary earthly status. Don't need to look at what's going on here. We need to be looking here. Here's what's going to motivate us. Here's what's going to help us. Here's what's going to help us count it all joy. Here's what's going to help us remain steadfast. Here's what's going to give us the blessed life. Trials are going to continue throughout our life. James could have put any trial in these verses, any desire, any unmet thing, but he decided to do money. But you, you fill in your own temptation, your own struggle. But here's the key to the blessed life. And what he means by blessed life, this isn't an empty, cheap, religious cliche. The blessed life, it is the God-enriched life. It is the life that has reached its purpose to live all of life before the face of God. To live all of life dependent on and boasting in the promises of God. And this is who this blessed life is promised to. It's to the one who remains steadfast. It's to the one who remains. It's to the one who doesn't become double-minded. It comes to the one who boasts in his lowliness. Who boasts in his exaltation. It comes to the one who fixes his eyes and his heart on Jesus Christ. This is what the Christian life looks like. It's one 
of preserving. It's one that we want to persevere. It's one where we have persevering faith, where God is helping us. God is offering us help. He's giving us assistance so that we can live this life and not merely survive. God's goal in this life, he's not, he's not saying like, here's how you get by. You know, I know it's hard. Here, here's how you can just get here. No, what he's wanting to do, he's like, here's how you thrive. Here, you want to know how to live a blessed life? Well, here's your reward. So now that you see your reward, now you see where all of life is headed, let that inform this. And when that happens, we thrive. When people see our lives, when they see our love for one another, when they see why we're so generous, when they, when they see, as Jesus taught this poor widow, give. When, when she doesn't have anything, yes, she gives almost all that she has. What does that testify to this world? That we're not living for this world. When we come in this place, when we gather, when we set aside all the momentary, earthly, fleeting, passing things that this world proclaims to us, and we sit here, and we sing together, and we worship together, and our boast is not about us, that's the blessed life. And then we scatter into Knoxville, and we scatter to campus, and we scatter to our workplace, and we scatter to our homes, and we show people, this is the blessed life. Tell me about your life. Well, let me tell you about my boast. Let me tell you about the one who changed me. Let me tell you about the one who, where my life, where I was low. Oh, I was low. I may still be low, but I'm not there anymore. I'm not living here anymore. I'm living up here. Because I got something better to live for. I got a greater reality. I got a reward that I'm living for. I got a promise that I'm living for. I got a person that I'm living for. His name's Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, glad you're here. Here's what we have to offer you. We don't have to offer you money. We don't have to offer you a, this, the best life now. What we have to offer you is something that's going to bring you eternal life. It's found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Would you trust in Him? You notice what James says in verse 12, for when He has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life. Trials test us. And we all don't like tests. I'm sure the college students are like, amen. It's like, I got one on Monday, and I am not looking forward to it. But here, here's what happens. Here's, here is God's purpose for our tests, for his test. They're meant to, and, I'm, and this is from Jeff Perswell, but he says, tests are meant to reveal and to refine. Meant to reveal things going on in my heart, and it's meant to refine us. And so, what God is doing is as He's revealing our hearts and as He is working in us, what He's doing is He's refining us. He's making us more like His Son. He's stripping away. He's, he's wanting to, James, He's wanting to present us wholly mature in Jesus Christ. And so, what does that mean? That means I want to be like Jesus. And so, what tests do is they reveal how we're not like Jesus, that we still need to change. And that's good. Because we need to grow. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? Because if we're not living for Christ, we're living for something else, and that's not the blessed life. It's not the blessed life. Living for Christ is the, ble the blessed life. And this is how James ends. He ends with a promise. 
which God has promised to those who love him. What we receive is a crown of life. This is not a royal crown. This is not a crown with all these jewels like a king. This is a crown that was given to those who were running a race, to the victor. So this is God's reward. It's eternal life. What he's going to do is we're going to stand before God. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to crown us. He's going to say, well done. Here is your reward. But isn't it staggering that it's God who's made that promise? It doesn't say you will receive the crown of life if you run the race well. It says that you're going to receive the crown of life and God's promised to give it to you if you love him. If you love him. He who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. God is working. So we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God working in us. God is running with us. Isn't, I mean, it's scandalous. The reward that we're going to receive of eternal life, the only reason we receive the reward is because God acted on our behalf. It's because of what God did in our life. It's because of what God promised That's why we look. That's what he's saying. Be motivated. Your God is amazing. He's generous. He's generous. He loves you. Look what he did. He sent his own son for you. This is what he has for you. Riches that are going to last forever. They're not going to burn or perish. You're going to spend eternity. This life is but a vapor. This, This life is but from a sunrise, from being scorched away but we're going to the heavenly city where there's not going to be a sun. There's not going to be a moon because we're going to see our Savior face to face. And this is the wonderful promise is that God has decided to dwell with man. And we have the wonderful privilege to dwell with Him forever and ever. So in light of that, in light of that heavenly reward, in light of where we're going, Let's live in light of that. Let's see this momentary. Let's see this fleeting, passing, earthly status of ours in light of that reward. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You are a God who is generous, a God who is rich in love, a God who, though He was rich, became poor, so that we who are poor, who are poor spiritually, who are dead in our sins, might become rich. Oh Lord, everyone here who has trusted in Christ, Lord, as a child of God, you have an inheritance. You have given us an inheritance. There is a reward waiting for us. So Lord, I pray, pray that we would live in light of this, the hope that we have. I pray that for those who would identify with, those, with, a, with a person who is poor, I pray that they would leave here boasting in their high position. For those of us who are rich, for those of us where we're tempted to be double-minded and to serve money, I pray we would leave here boasting in our lowliness. And I pray that all of us in this room would leave boasting in one thing, and that is the name Jesus Christ, who redeemed us, who purchased us, who now lives forever to intercede for us. Oh Lord, we cannot wait till you return. Come, Lord Jesus. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Jake Simmons during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. 
We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.